What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Your Purpose is Beauty. Welcome to episode 37 of the podcast. I wasn't even going to do an episode today. I was actually going to take a little summer break and not post anything because or publish anything because I didn't really have anything planned. I have an interview scheduled to go up next Monday. And then on the 31st, I think I actually am going to take a break. I've published a podcast episode every Monday since I launched the podcast at the end of 2019. Um, It was just a couple days before New Year's is when I started the podcast and I have published an episode every week since then. And I feel like I need just a little bit of a summer Labor Day break. So you're hearing from me today. I decided I would pull together a Q&A. I put up a call on Instagram and I said, if I get enough questions, I'll go ahead and record a Q&A for today. And I got plenty of questions. I hope that I can get through all of them. I'll get through as many as I can over the next hour. I'm going to try and cut myself off around an hour. And really the instigation for wanting to do a Q&A is that I did a post on Instagram about going back to acupuncture after six months. I haven't had an acupuncture treatment in about six months. I am someone that's used to going to acupuncture at least a couple of times a month. Uh, when I was in graduate school for a period of four or five years, I was going every week for years on end. And then, yeah, like once to twice a month, depending on what I was going through. So going for six months with no acupuncture was kind of tough, but you you adapt and you don't really know what you're missing. But I showed up and as I suspected, you know, in addition to just not having had acupuncture for quite a long time, I've been under a fair amount of emotional stress. I just think a lot of people have in their own life contexts. So I've been dealing with that. I've been trying to plan a wedding. I've been always behind with Lamore. It's really been a struggle because while I've been able to be so consistent with the podcast, I have not been able to get as many videos out on YouTube. I've still been able to keep up with Patreon and all of that, but YouTube is, I feel, really where I have not been able to keep up. So I'm I'm also hoping that by taking the last Monday of August off, I'll maybe be able to catch up on video a little bit. But anyway, to get back to what I was saying, the instigation for even wanting to do a Q&A today was going to acupuncture, doing this acupuncture post on Instagram where I talked about the herbal formula that I'm going to be on for the next couple of weeks or month. And some of the dietary things that I need to focus on, which is just a a never-ending thing for me. I deal with constitutional depletion that's just been magnified going through postpartum pregnancy, giving birth, and postpartum. So I'm sitting here drinking some Earthwise Beauty Revered Berries tea that I brewed earlier, and it's just kind of at room temperature now. This is actually supposed to be a wintertime warming tea. It's also an immune boosting tea because it has elderberries in it, but it also has goji berries, schizandra berry, and rose hips in addition to the elderberry. And it's really the goji berry that's a very, very potent blood builder. And really, really just, I mean, in the, the, the whole tea itself, it basically looks like red wine. It's just once you brew it up as a decoction. A decoction is when you simmer the herbs, or in this case, the dried berries in water for a period of time, like 20 to 30 minutes. And then you strain out the berries and you drink the liquid and you can actually brew the berries several times. So I would say two to three times. The third time you brew them, they would be quite a bit weaker. But the second brew is almost as strong as the first brew. So I've been trying to have this two cups of this every day in addition to other liver blood building foods like red meat, dark berries, dried fruit, dark leafy greens, beets. I actually just prepared some beets. So my acupuncturist could not find my liver pulse. It was just so weak and depleted. So I really need to make a conscious effort to focus on this. And I basically was just so revived after this treatment. And I have such a profound love for Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbs I'm coming around to. I mean, I've taken Chinese herbs on and off throughout the years, but I'm trying to really commit and see what kind of difference they can make when I take them consistently and I go to acupuncture consistently. I'm going to go again in two weeks and then I'm going to start going every week because I got into a regular slot. It's been such a beneficial 
modality in my life. And I got into it quite a bit in the traditional foods episode that I did here on the podcast. I'm blanking on the episode number, but I'll of course include it in the show notes because a big part of finding my way to traditional foods and healing from a lot of a past of very disordered eating and some other health issues came vis-a-vis acupuncture. My longtime acupuncturist who still practices in Providence, Rhode Island, was big into Weston A. Price and traditional foods. And she was really who put that idea in my mind. And I started learning informally from her. And then I was just kind of off on my own because this philosophy and way of nourishing oneself was just so resonant for me. All of that to say, after this Instagram post, I started getting questions about people wanting to know how to find a good acupuncturist. And so this would actually be a question that's very well suited to what's on my mind and in my cup episode, except I did one of those not that long ago. So I thought I would just do a QA. and a I think I've maybe only done one Q&A here on the public feed. I think I did a Q&A for patrons some months ago. But one of the first four episodes I did here to launch the podcast was a Q&A. So I'll, of course, link that for you as well. But I got a number of great questions on Instagram. So let's just take a quick little break so I can tell you about supporting Lamore on Patreon. If you're interested, helping support the production of this podcast and the rest of the work I do, through Lamore and also get access to lots and lots of bonus content. So let me tell you about that quickly and then we'll come back and just dive into some questions. Have you been enjoying Your Purpose is Beauty? You can unlock exclusive episodes of this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash l'amour et la musique. For $3 per month, you gain access to one exclusive episode published on the first Monday of every month. You receive a private RSS feed link to add to your podcast player of choice, or you can listen directly on Patreon. In these exclusive episodes, I expound on more personal, potentially controversial, or thought-provoking topics that are suited to an intimate community. If you're interested in more, there are other tiers of support that include a poll-based monthly exclusive video produced for the Patreon community, individual video-based correspondence, live get ready with me makeup videos and skincare routines, and astrology of beauty and Venus readings from a classical perspective. Patreon funds directly support the production of this podcast, as well as other Lamore content. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Your Purpose's Beauty, and now back to today's episode. So how to find an acupuncturist where you live? This is obviously going to vary so much depending on if you're in a metropolitan area, suburban with access to a metropolitan area. If you're in a rural area, it's going to be more challenging. So I can really only speak from the more urban perspective. I have seen acupuncturists in Providence, Rhode Island, Boston, Massachusetts, and now Chicago, Illinois. So I found my initial acupuncturist, this was back in 2009, through word of mouth. It was through a friend of a friend. I was having some women's health issues. I had just come off of hormonal birth control. There was just a voice inside of me that was like, just come off, see what what your body is up to. It's been on and off these synthetic hormones for so many years now. And I'm not going to belabor that story here because I've chronicled it many other places. But suffice to say, it was not a smooth transition. And as luck would have it, a good friend of mine had a friend who had, uh, she was actually a graduate student at the same university we were at, Brown University. And she was in a PhD program, but after completing her master's, decided to pursue becoming an acupuncturist. So she went to the, I believe she went to the New England School of Acupuncture, NISA, which is in Boston. And she had just started practicing. She was a newly minted acupuncture and herbal graduate, just starting her own practice with a focus on women's women's health. This was someone that also had a long history working in the reproductive justice arenas and was very, very passionate about women's health. So it felt like the really perfect synergy for me and what I was going through. So I met with her six treatments later. My period came back after not having it for a year and I was 
just in that moment, such a, it was really a life-changing moment for me because you, you don't know what you have until you lose it and losing your period for that long a period of time and not knowing why and feeling just out of control of your body was a really big turning point for me. And seeing what acupuncture could do in such a short period of time was, was a really, really profound turning point for me. So I was very lucky to find my first acupuncturist in that way. And you know, I've I tried many other acupuncturists actually in Rhode Island because my my primary acupuncturist had gone on maternity leave several times. So I was seeing other people when she was traveling for long periods of time or not available. And then when I moved to Boston, I asked for her recommendation of who I could see in Boston. I ended up seeing someone that I didn't really jive with. So I was still just driving back to see my primary acupuncturist in Rhode Island. Now, when I moved back to Chicago, I was newly pregnant and I knew that I wanted to have acupuncture treatments throughout pregnancy um, just to prepare for giving birth. And then I knew I was going to want to have postpartum treatment as well. So I found my acupuncturist here. I've actually tried two. And I found my first acupuncturist here through a prenatal yoga studio. The acupuncturist had a treatment room in this yoga studio. I actually didn't continue prenatal yoga in this studio, but I continued to see the acupuncturist because she had, a, again, a focus on women, women's health. And I guess that would be my best piece of advice. If you're a woman looking for an acupuncturist that specializes in women's health broadly. Now, this takes on so many flavors because acupuncture is used very commonly to treat fertility issues, to enhance fertility, to help women conceive more easily, also to help women that might be using reproductive assistance to have a successful embryo implant or something like that. So it any focus on women, I think, is a really good place to start. So if you were just to Google something like prenatal acupuncture in the city that you live in. Now, here's kind of another thing I will say. Some people are very particular about only wanting to see a practitioner that has been trained in China. Now, acupuncture has a very, very long lineage that I really only know about quite superficially. However, I do know that around the 1950s when Mao Zedong came into power, that there was a big transition away from more classical Taoist traditional forms of acupuncture, also infused with a lot of Taoist spirituality. Um, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, was kind of the modernized version of classical acupuncture. And TCM is what was really brought over to the United States, uh, mostly in the 60s and 70s from my understanding. And there's actually a really interesting racial link to acupuncture coming to the U.S. Um, the Black Panthers, I believe, had a pretty significant role in establishing uh, community acupuncture clinics in New York. And I think Tupac Shakur's father actually had some very prominent role in that. Anyway, not really the point of telling the history of acupuncture, of which, again, I'm not as well-versed on as I would like to be. But I bring that up to say that there is this split between classical Chinese medicine and traditional Chinese medicine. I would actually... Um, it would be my preference to see someone that practices classical Chinese medicine. Someone that talks about this really intelligently is my friend Claire Gallagher, uh, the body astrologer. She has a podcast called The Cosmic Lifestyle Podcast, and her husband is a doctor of acupuncture, but from a classical perspective. And I believe he practices around Portland, Maine. I'm actually not somewhere in Maine. I'm not exactly sure. But I have tried to find someone that practices classical Chinese acupuncture, and I haven't found anyone here yet. I've also been asked what the differences are between Chinese versus Japanese versus Korean acupuncture. So Jenna Cavello of Agent Nature has written quite extensively on Korean methods of acupuncture. I forget what exactly what it's, it has a particular name. Five element theory is, I think, commonly associated with Japanese acupuncture. I've had Japanese style treatments a couple of times and they don't, I mean, it could be the practitioner, it could be a lot of things, but they never felt the same, I guess, on me. My experience of a Japanese treatment is they use a lot fewer needles 
the needle insertion technique is a bit different. And then I've also had something, it's like this electro stimulation thing. They basically clip these, they, they look like miniature jumper cables that they clip between needles. So if you know anything about the meridian system, different acupuncture points are all connected to each other on different meridians and channels. So they'll commute your acupuncture points when the needles are inserted to stimulate them, communicate with each other. And this kind of electrical stimulation is just meant to, I guess, enhance or deepen the communication between acupuncture treatments. I mean, I'm not an expert on it. So I had that done a couple of times and I honestly wasn't a very big fan. So a lot of it is kind of trial and error. I quite like the woman that I see now. It's Moon Hill Acupuncture here in Chicago. If anyone's in the Chicago area, she's wonderful for prenatal care and postpartum care. And I feel really, really good after her treatments. I feel very relaxed and um, her bedside manner is really, really good. So, So some of it, you just, you can try a couple of people and see how you feel. I guess that's kind of the best advice I would have, but a good starting point would be women's acupuncture, prenatal acupuncture, fertility acupuncture in whatever city you're in, or I would, this is just my proclivity, I would search for classical Chinese acupuncture wherever you are, although it can definitely take some time to get established with a new practitioner. So I would give yourself, I don't know, two to three months to really see if you're feeling different, if you're comfortable with the herbal recommendations and lifestyle recommendations, I mean, you should be able to tell pretty quickly if it's a match. And I have seen acupuncturists that just aren't, and that's totally okay. Yeah. I mean, as with any healing modality, you really have to use your best discernment, but those are just kind of the tips that I have picked up along the way. I hope that that's helpful. If you are looking for additional info beyond this, you can email me or we can talk through the Petit Conseil level on Patreon. That's really the best way to go kind of more into detail. And if you have like specific questions or something like that, that's the best way um, that we could talk a little bit further. Okay, the next question is a fun beauty question. I would, She says, I would love to hear how you feel about shampoo bars in general versus liquids. Where did I talked about this somewhere because I have recently been trying the Audacity 552M 552 million shampoo bar. I think that that's what it's called. And I maybe it was in my product crit that I did on YouTube not long ago. So my history with shampoo bars is actually relatively extensive when I had my big wake up to Green Beauty. I guess the wake up happened like 2010 to 2012. And I would say 2013, 2014, I started testing shampoo bars that were very popular on Etsy. There was this company called Chagrin Valley or Chagrin Valley, I think. There were some other brands and I was so wanting them to work. I was really attracted to the idea of something super low waste, super cleanly formulated um, because at that time, 2013, 2014, there were not even close to the amount of options that are available for a high-performing eco-hair care. It was mostly what you could find at Whole Foods, like Giovanni, A Cure, I remember was coming out. John Mester's Organics, and I liked their hair products quite a bit, but expensive and truthfully just not really that effective. So I tried these shampoo bars. I just never had any luck with them because I found them to be really drying. There's kind of split perspectives on this. People that think that your hair needs an adjustment period to a shampoo bar or the people say like, no, they're just not meant for all hair types. So I hadn't tried a shampoo bar in a really long time. And I recently tried the Audacity one and it absolutely turned my hair to straw the couple times I used it. So I actually have the InnerSense Hydrating Hair Mask in my Beauty Heroes cart. If I'm going to use one and keep trying to use one, I'm going to need a very heavy duty hair mask. Also, my hair is like five months overdue for a trim. So we kind of have to keep that in mind. My hair is just a little bit long and dry at the moment. So this is a good question because it's very timely. I have been meaning to place a high bar order for weeks now. That has been the brand that has been recommended to me most recently. It's H-I-B-A-R, high bar. And these are shampoo bars. They're 
packaging free and they're supposed to be really good. Everyone that I've talked to recently about shampoo bars has recommended high bar. So I think that they're at least worth trying. I think they do kind of have an aggressive social media marketing tact, which is never my favorite. I see them pop up actually quite a bit as a sponsored post on my Instagram feed. But I'm willing to try them. Someone, uh, I'm trying to remember, I also had gotten a really good eco hair care rack recently, but I'm. it's going to take me too long to go find it. I mean, you guys, DMs get buried in like an instant. I don't know if you deal with that too, but I'm always like, no, I, I need to find what that person was telling me. And then it just kind of gets lost. Um, but I'll, I should be able to find it if I go back and look. If I remember, I'll try and put it in the show notes. But... I'm totally on board conceptually with a shampoo bar. I am picky about shampoos. Probably the best eco one in the liquid category I have found is the True Botanicals. I'm on like my second or third bottle. Love that it's in a pump. Works really well for my hair personally. And I also quite like Evolve H, but it's a little bit heavier and I can't use it as regularly. So I like those, but I do love the idea of going packaging free and finding a low, low waste option. Okay, I got two questions back to back that are related. It's if your budget for groceries goes down by 50%, how would it change? I think she means what I buy for groceries. And then if your budget for beauty products goes down by 50%, how would it change? I thought this was interesting. So for food, probably pretty predictable. Uh, I would just buy less animal protein um, because that is definitely uh, an investment. I get like 90% of our meat from, I guess it's it's a cooperative. It's a, a company called Seven Sons. They're based out of Roanoke, Indiana. And they are a cooperative of 100% grass-fed pastured meats that are raised, humanely raised, humanely slaughtered, all of that done to a very, very high ethical standard here in the Midwest. And they deliver throughout this area, Indiana, Illinois, they might go to Michigan, I'm not sure. But I place an order like every couple weeks with them. We eat a lot of ground beef, chicken breast, um, chicken thighs. They do chicken wings. They do these really amazing grass-fed hot dogs. They also carry some, like it's the best wild-caught salmon I've ever had. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it comes from Alaska or the Pacific Northwest somewhere. Um, and it's amazing. So they carry that. So I buy that from them. They also do this really, really amazing A2A2 butter. They're soon to be carrying to Chicago A2A2 whole milk, uh, low temperature pasteurized. It's not raw. I'm still trying to figure out how I can get raw milk in Illinois. It's very difficult. So if my budget were to decrease, my grocery budget were to decrease, I would also probably buy less fruit because fruit, organic fruit is quite expensive. So less meat, less fruit. I would buy more legumes and grains, like non-gluten grains probably, rice, quinoa, that sort of thing. I would keep up with a lot of the root vegetables and like really bang for your buck, wonderful produce, like onions, garlic, shallots, ginger, all of that stuff is really inexpensive. Um, I would still continue to invest in eggs because we eat eggs every day here. Um, We drink high quality, low temperature pasteurized dairy. Those things I would definitely keep. I would you know, eliminate any processed food that we do buy, which is minimal, but, you know, we buy tortilla chips. Sometimes I'll buy, like for a treat, I'll buy Annie's macaroni and cheese, Cov eats, uh, his frozen treats, he calls them. Just like ice cream bars that are quite expensive from Whole Foods. We eat a lot of chocolate. I just bought a box of made in Illinois gluten-free cookies that are $8 for like six cookies. So obviously I wouldn't buy that kind of stuff if we were on a budget. But yeah, I think that I could still manage to get a high quality diet just with less animal protein and less sugar. So for the beauty budget, that was a very good question. But beauty is a very broad. You didn't say skincare or makeup. So I would, the cuts would probably mostly come out of makeup because I... With skincare, I feel like that's where the investment really shows. But if I were to cut back on skincare, I guess I would probably 
eliminate things like sheet masks because they're, they're really amazing and fun, but superfluous, or like those eye gels. Those I wouldn't do. I wouldn't interchange between so many expensive serums. I would have just one or two oils. Yeah, but I mean, most of the budget, I guess, would come out of makeup because that's, you know, I wouldn't, I I would cut back on things like a fun eyeshadow palette because that's just totally an extraneous splurge. I would be more multi-purpose about something that could be a cheek and a lip color. I would do something that can double as a concealer and a foundation, that kind of thing. But I would continue to invest in uh, high-quality physical SPF because I love that. I would continue to invest in a really, really good first cleanser and second cleanser. And then, yeah, I mean, if we're talking just beauty budget, I could definitely do without most hair care except for shampoo, conditioner, and maybe like a leave-in, which I like to use. I basically use like no styling products anymore. Um, I would, I mean, these are things too, like I would do away with body scrubs because I dry brush and take baths now. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of corners that could be cut and trimmed within the beauty budget. Next two questions are also somewhat related. What is your position on public versus private school? And did I go to public or private school? This is definitely not a closed case for me yet. So I don't know. Uh, our baby is 21 months old. So it's not a decision. I mean, it's obviously something that I'm thinking about. And it, so much of it depends on where you live because the way that education is structured in the United States, the school that's local to you where your kids can go for public education is very, the quality of that school is very determined by the type of neighborhood that you live in. So if you want to hear more about this, kind of like a neighborhood, neighborhood effects, neighborhood studies, community studies, urban studies perspective, I talked quite a bit about that in the race and inequality episode that I did in the wake of the George Floyd killing and protests that ensued. So it's it's all kind of wrapped up in understanding that structure. So in the neighborhood that we currently live in, and we also may not, there's, we may leave Chicago before, Baby Lilmore would be enrolling in kindergarten, but there's a, a very good magnet school in our neighborhood. They say that they don't give preference to kids that live in the neighborhood, but I don't know. I don't know how true that is. So from what I've seen, that school seems like it will be a good option. Before that, I would like to do a Montessori environment for Soren, like a formal Montessori environment, like a three to five. Like So the way that they structure Montessori's is usually they do like an 18-month to like a two or three year old room. And then they do like a three to five. So it's basically a preschool. So I would be interested in that. I've also more recently been exploring if Waldorf could be a good fit for us. I don't, I just don't know yet. There's only one Waldorf school in Chicago and it actually is pretty conveniently located to us. But to answer the other question, I was mostly in public school, although when I was younger, I did go to a Montessori for a short period of time. And then I also did go to a Catholic preschool and kindergarten. I have zero interest in sending my kid to a religiously affiliated school. So, I mean, Waldorf is, uh, I guess, spiritual, you could say, but not parochial. And then I went to a neighborhood uh, elementary school for first through third grade that I walked to. It was just this tiny, tiny little rural public elementary school in my village of 600 people. And then for fourth through sixth grade, I went to an elementary school in a neighboring town public. And then uh, the way that they structured middle school and high school where I grew up at the time, I don't know if it's this way now, but 7 to 12, 7th through 12th grade was all in one building. Middle school, 7th and 8th grade had kind of their own wing, but it was all in one location. So that's where I went to high school. I didn't have the best middle school and high school experience. Like I'm not one of those people that really recalls very fondly 
Um, that time I grew up in a, a rural upstate New York and it was just, I don't know, like there's not a lot of room for being different and it's like, it wasn't very challenging, I guess, you know? So it's kind of one of those things where your, your parents might be thinking strategically, you know, do we want her to be a big fish in a small pond or a little fish in a small pond? I mean, you know, like my parents were college professors and obviously just were hyper-focused on my sister and I going to a good university. So they they pushed us academically a lot. And ultimately, it, you know, worked out. We were able to get into and go to good schools. It was just not like not a super good experience, but there weren't really any good private school options for us. My sister actually wanted to go away to boarding school at a certain point in time. I never wanted to do that. So, you know, I don't know. I, I had a lot of shortcomings when I showed up to college. I really didn't do very well my first year. I had to work extremely hard to, I like saw tutors. I had no idea how to write a college level paper at the university that I was at. I I had never taken calculus. I was in a calculus class that was so over my head. I mean, I, I played catch up the whole first year that I was at college. And whereas I was going to school with not only kids that had gone to really, really good, high-performing, like, suburban high schools. Like, my husband, Kaveh, went to a very good Chicago suburban high school and was, like, so much more prepared. We went to the same university, and he was, like, much more prepared than I was. Um, But not only that was I going to kids that just had really good public education experiences, I was going to college with kids that were in really hardcore prep schools and boarding schools where they're studying Greek and Latin uh, from like middle school onwards and they're taking advanced calc by the time they're in 12th grade. They, they're like fluent in multiple languages. They summer in France. Like, who you know what I mean? It's like the whole nine yards. So education is obviously where a lot of inequality is born out. And in my heart, I totally believe in the value of public education. Although I will say as I am becoming a more radicalized individual for a lot of reasons, I mean, I, I think becoming a parent is a huge part of it and also becoming a parent under the current times that we're in has made me question a lot of things. And also the world has changed so much than when I was going to school in the 80s and 90s. So I have not really had to face this, you know, like going into our local public elementary school and asking about curriculum, asking about what like sex education looks like, because I think that that has been happening younger and younger than when we were in school. That's something that I'm attuned to and aware of. Yeah, just if things are different culturally and not to sound like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that adage is true that you just become more conservative as you get older. And I basically, I didn't mean to even really get this deep with this question, but I have really extracted myself from a lot of identity politics. I've been questioning a lot of identity politics. I have no idea what I consider myself. I just know that I have strong feelings about certain things and I'm going to be learning as I go. And, you know, I've also thought about what would what would it mean to homeschool? It would have to be a very particular set of circumstances for me to undertake that. It's never been something that I've seen myself doing. But if the contexts and the, the circumstances around things don't change over the next four or five years, that would be a decision that I would have to make if I were not satisfied with the environment that my kid would be in, in a learning environment. Yeah. So there's just a lot of, a lot of unforeseen things and I don't, it's just an open question. I really don't know how I feel yet. And I'll have more answers for you in like four four years, probably. Next question, what is your routine for good sleep besides a bath? This is a good question. I I would have to be upfront and say that I'm never someone that has struggled with falling asleep. Um, Even since childhood, like sleep has not been a problematic area of my life. So I would say that... Okay, this might be very like basic and not what you meant in by asking this question, but 
Comfortable sleeping temperature. So sleeping in a cool environment, I think really helps. And then also wearing something comfortable to bed. I know that, and like having comfortable bedding and making your bed like a really, a place that you look forward to being. So this is something I'm thinking a lot about because we, I have been in this process of trying to figure out what I want to do for a bed upgrade for us. So I'm going to upgrade us to a king bed. I hate the bed that we're sleeping on now. The sheets are just so like tattered, but you know, we're new parents. We've been doing a combination of room sharing and bed sharing with the toddler. So this would be a topic for for something else, but I am so smitten with this company called Coco Mat which is based out of Greece. I'm not Athens, I think, um, but somewhere in Greece. And they have a couple of showrooms, I think only in New York though. And they don't have any wire springs in them. Anyway, like this is not not the place to talk about Coco Mat, but that's the company that I'm thinking I'm going to purchase a bed from. And then on our wedding registry, I have some really beautiful sheets from Koyuchi, which are definitely a splurge. But... I guess that would be my tip is like sleeping temperature and then like nice sheets, wearing something comfortable to bed. I'm a huge fan of these Pima Cotton lounge pants, but they also do a short uh, that you could wear to bed. Like loungewear from Kuyana is like, I just, I so look forward to wearing it to bed. And then if I'm having trouble falling asleep, which can definitely happen if I have a lot on my mind, I put on a guided meditation and I'm out in literally like 30 seconds. So you know, if all else fails, I'll, or I mean, even sometimes I feel like I like to do some sort of um, preparing myself for sleep vis-a-vis a meditation. It's almost like setting your space, setting your sleep space so that you, <laughs> this is going to start veering off into weird territory, like don't have negative sleep interference, meaning like you don't have invasive dreams or, I mean, this is something I talk about more on Patreon because Talking about energy manipulation and sleep state hijack is kind of beyond maybe the scope of this question. But putting on a guided meditation before sleep, I think, um, definitely can't hurt. And then, yeah, I, I think bathing or showering every night is really, really helpful for getting into good sleep hygiene. Like going to bed, like not having... Uh, cleansed from the day and not even just like cleansing the dirt off of your skin. But to me, it's like an energetic cleanse because throughout the day, you're absorbing the energy of everything you come into contact with, like out in the world, driving on the highway, you know, walking in the neighborhood. And for me, the bath or the shower, even if it's just a, a five minute shower, like the water is very, very cleansing on, on many levels. So those are my tips there. I know that they're probably very obvious, but I hope that that helps. The next question is, do I have any favorite visual artists? So this was tough because nothing really immediately jumped to mind. The way I interface with creative work is, I guess, more through music, if that makes sense. So I don't, I'm not like a purveyor of art. I don't collect art. Things that that capture me visually I will put on my Pinterest board, but it's not linked to an artist, if I guess if that makes sense. Um, I'll include a link actually to my Pinterest board. I use Pinterest much differently, I think, than, than most people. For me, it's really curatorial. I'm not pinning things that I want to buy or that I'm... It's more an aesthetic curation. I have one board and it's just images that I like. So I feel like that to me is what, maybe what this question is kind of getting at. I did think of a couple of people that I follow on Instagram that I have for quite a long time. Uh, I think she's a watercolor artist, Satsuki Shibuya, spiritual thinker, artist, and poet. But she does a bunch of these really, really beautiful ephemeral watercolor type arts. I found her, she was interviewed on a podcast. She had had some big healing crisis, I remember, and then came out of the healing crisis. It was almost like a healing crisis, spiritual awakening, and she started painting these watercolor images, and they're they're super beautiful. I also thought of a Minneapolis-based artist, Ashley Mary Art. Um, It's like very bold, geometric, 
colors. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know how I found her, but I like some of her stuff. I also really like jewelry design. I guess that would be the other space that I get creatively inspired by. I really love this company called, I think it's Lito, L-I-T-O. It's again, a Greek company and I forget how I found them. I'll include the handle for you to go check out. But yeah, that whole feed is just everything. It's like one of my favorite Instagram feeds. I'm trying to think. I'm like scrolling through my Instagram feed. If I think of anything else, I will try and include it. But yeah, that's kind of what jumps to mind. Next question was any favorite toys for baby Lamar? So our baby doesn't really seem to like well, I, I mean, it, it's like the quintessential thing where they like things that aren't really intended to be a toy. It's been that way since the baby was little and has really carried forward. We have really intentionally resisted the, the urge to accumulate a lot of plastic toys, a lot of over-accumulation. So Baby Lamore loves books, which is obviously something that I love to support. So we go to the library and have always have a lot of library books around. Uh, maybe I could do something on like my favorite kids' books, although that's a growing and evolving thing. Most of the kids' books are extremely tedious. I, I would welcome recommendations for inspiring children's books that don't drive parents absolutely bananas to read over and over. <laughs> um, so books. And then more recently, I would say from a year and a half onward, like 14, 15 months onwards, Baby Lamora is just obsessed with any kind of sports ball. So basketball, volleyball, um, tennis balls, softballs. And literally what we do at least once a day is go out on the back porch and the baby dumps the ball down the stairs, throws the ball down the stairs, and we throw it back up and it's like catch back and forth endlessly. Or... We work on spinning the ball around or throwing it or passing it. And I have like a couple of balls that we do inside with this. And and even when we're reading books, the baby will point out any ball that's on any page of any book. So there's some sort of obsession there. Um, but as far as toys, you know, I've tried to, to bring in some nice I guess you could call them heirloom wooden toys. Like we have the Grimm's 24 block color set, which I really like and the baby also likes. You know, actually what is a good toy and I've given them away as gifts are these like magnetic animals. Hang on, I'm going to look up what they're called. Okay, they're called Smart Max. And we have, I think, I forgot, like the the jungle version. I gifted away the farm animals STEM magnetic discovery building set with soft animals for ages one to five. These are a hit because they can be pulled apart and kind of mixed and matched and put back together. Um, so I, I like these a lot and the baby loves them. So I guess that that would be what I would say. But we really, yeah, like we have a whole toy section and it just like doesn't really get utilized that much. Like I have some of those lacing cards to practice fine motor skills. I have like some, like a big knob puzzle, I think is really helpful. I have a geometric one from Melissa and Doug. I also really like the Ikea fruit and vegetable cloth set. It's like cloth play fruit and vegetable. We also have the little Ikea mini pots and pans. Those are really fun. So yeah, like Montessori practical life stuff was what I was trying to be focused on. Like a mini utensil set is really nice, but very basic. Like I, and I also am just so tired that I don't have time to research new and exciting toys, especially when the baby is the favorite thing is a basketball. Next question, what was your first YouTube video? It was a what's in my makeup bag. I remember it like it was yesterday. I even remember the makeup bag. It was this green paisley print makeup bag that opened on both sides. It like had a double zipper that was from Target. I'll link, I'll link this inaugural video for you. It was filmed on a vintage iPhone propped up against some boxes in one of the worst apartments I've ever lived in in Waltham, Massachusetts. <laughs> I even remember the shirt. I was wearing this. I don't remember where it was from, but it was like a flannel, like a purple and pink 
flannel shirt, I think. Where I don't need, I want, I'm trying to remember where that shirt was from. So yeah, I talked through what was in my makeup bag and just, I felt like that was going to be a really easy video to do. I intimately knew these products because I use them all the time. I think I was talking about, do you guys remember the brand Honeybee Gardens? I think I had their lip liners or eyeliners. I think I was using some, some Josie Marin, some Tarte, some RMS. Who knows? I mean, I haven't watched that video in forever, but it's there. It's up April of 2014. Next is I'd love to hear more about your sustainable swaps and other ways you're thinking about planet Earth. So I am planning to do a whole video on this. On Instagram, I've talked about my love, pretty newly discovered love for the St. Olio eco-luxury cleaners. Like you buy the concentrate and the spray bottle which look like works of art in and of themselves. And then you just mix it with water at home and you make like your own bottle of cleaner. They, they're so beautiful. I love those. I also use Branch Basics. I love Marley's Monsters. I use the unpapered towels. Um, stasher bags I'll be talking about. Uh, the beeswax honey wrap is nice, although I don't use it as much as I wish that I did. Food storage options are not really that exciting, but Beyond the kitchen, I'm interested in laundry um, or like how to make that more sustainable. I recently bought some of those wool dryer balls that decrease the amount of time that you need to run the dryer. And I think you can also put some essential oils in them that would lightly fragrance your clothes. I would like to move away from dryer sheets, mostly because I can't find any that I really like. And I'm always kind of trying to find good laundry detergent options. Like I've tried using the Branch Basics as a laundry detergent and I don't, like I do want my clothes to have a little bit of like light natural scent. When everything is unscented, I'm, I don't, I don't like it. So I like the Laundress products a lot, but I also would like to, in the spring and summer months, have a clothesline where I can hang clothes out to dry. Um, so that's going to be a project I work on with Cave. Another big way that we, you know, endeavor to be sustainable is with our big garden. We have like a big back raised bed backyard garden plot. I talked about this a lot on Patreon for the July patron exclusive video. I did a whole video on Herbalism 101 and I did a garden tour. And we still have some more area of our backyard to landscape. So I want to do an herb garden and I want to just do more herbalism at home. So I I guess this is like more maybe taking a little bit of a reach in terms of sustainability, but just creating a culture of health at home, doing a lot of home health care, prophylactic things at home, and just becoming like my own family herbal medicine person that can treat things to just avoid as much as I can a reliance on the medical system. That probably sounds like kind of hippie and weird, but yeah, like just getting more into that homesteading vibe that I think a lot of people are interested in and feeling a real push to now, given, you know, what the world has been going through over the last six months or so. So yeah, I mean, also I barely buy any clothes anymore. So I'm always looking for ethical clothing companies. That could be a whole topic unto itself. Yeah. So I'll leave that there. I'm definitely going to be doing a video just talking, like going through my kitchen and the ways that I've tried to implement more sustainable techniques and practices at home. Okay, another acupuncture question. What are your thoughts on pediatric acupuncture? Have you tried it with your baby? So I think it's a wonderful idea. I haven't really had the opportunity to try it. Um, when I actually, the first postpartum treatment I had, my acupuncturist came and did an in-home visit. And she actually like like basically soothed and took care of the baby while I was being treated and had needles in me while I was lying on the couch. It was so nice. I love that she does the offers that for new moms. I don't think she does right now because of the circumstances, but hopefully she'll be able to again. Um, she did give me some herbs for that I could give the baby. It's basically like a colic gas relief Chinese herbal medicine thing. I never ended up using it, but I remember my longtime primary acupuncturist, Yvette, who's, who I talked about earlier in Providence, Rhode Island, she would treat her children and 
particularly after any kind of medication, if you're choosing to vaccinate, um, using acupuncture to dispel some of the side effects from um, medication or things like that can be very helpful. Um, and also just depending on what you're um, you know, dealing with, I'm just thinking of generally things that kids go through. I actually took the baby for pediatric chiropractic adjustments more And I felt like that was a little bit, because babies are so crunched up in the womb. So when they come out, they have their own adjustment period where they could have been in a position for too long. And so that's why you can get things like torticollis or, yeah, just like kind of other little kinks that babies need to work out from having been in a constrained, albeit very comfy, warm, watery environment for nine months. So I loved pediatric chiropractic adjustments. I actually just took the baby um, last month for an adjustment just to help facilitate walking and whatnot. And everything was, the adjustments are so gentle, especially on an infant. It's like just barely like depressing things. And my chiropractor that I had found here in Chicago treated me throughout my whole pregnancy. There's a particular method for adjustments for pregnant women. I forget what it's called now, but it's of course like very gentle and really just focusing on hip alignment and relieving things like lower back and very, very helpful for getting your baby in an optimal position to be born. Yeah, like it can be helpful. For example, if your baby's breech, it can help over time, like turn that the last couple of weeks before you're going to deliver. So I totally recommend chiropractic adjustments. And yeah, I totally think that pediatric acupuncture is valid and amazing as well. I just haven't really explored it yet. Next question, name three to five conventional products that has been hard to find a clean dupe for. Okay, this is very easy. Uh, Mascara. So I still use Tarte Lights Camera Lashes. It's my favorite mascara, even though I really dislike the packaging. It's like purple holographic glitter crazy. It used to be purple snakeskin, so I'm not sure which is worse. Um, But it's a really good formula. It works for me. I've been using it for so long. I guess you could argue somewhat that Tarte is, I don't know if they're considered, quote, clean at Sephora. I don't really shop at Sephora anymore except for very, very few things. But I've tried so many, many, many eco mascaras. I actually have a whole container of them to do a mascara lineup. And some of them can be really good. Like I've liked the Fit Glow Mascara, even though it has some issues. I do like Ilia Limitless Lash, but it's not as good as the Tarte on me, Tarte Lights Camera Lashes. So, and I've tried many, many conventional mascaras too, you know, Dior Show, um, all the Lancome ones, what else? I mean, there, there's so many. Um, Too Faced Better Than Sex I used for a long time, but it turns out it smudges on me pretty badly. So my Tarte mascaras, I continue to buy. NARS Velvet Matte Lip Pencils. I've never found a product that is exactly like they are. They're basically a matte crayon. I have lip products that give a similar effect. For example, the Spella Matte Liquid Lip Lipsticks, I think are close, but they're not exactly the same. Um, It's really that crayon finish on the lips. I mean, yeah, if you have found something that is identical to the NARS Velvet Matte Lip Pencils, I am all ears. I don't believe it exists. They're a very, very unique product. And in my opinion right now, pretty irreplaceable. I don't wear them that often, but I have Cruella. I have Damned, which I love. It's like a magenta. Um, And there's always more that I want, like Train Blue, uh, Red Square. I don't know. They're really nice. I don't, I guess this would be considered conventional, but they're all, again, they may also be considered, quote, clean at Sephora, but the Hourglass ambient lighting powders. I still have my trio. I will always purchase these. I think they're a wonderful product, particularly for people that don't like face powder. Uh, I just, I love the effect that they give. They're so beautiful. And if you are dry skinned at all, I just, I, yeah, I, I will always, always buy them. You know, that's, I guess that's really kind of it. I, I think I could pretty reliably get, I mean, 
I guess then we could maybe get into shampoo conditioner. Like I do still like some Orbe for styling products. Um, I do still like Aveda shampoos and conditioners from time to time. I like Christophe Raban hair products. But yeah, I mean, otherwise we would be getting into the, oh, I guess Surat Autographique Liner. Not an eco product, but I cannot be without that ever. Um, so yeah, I think that I've definitely hit the three, the three to five mark there. Next question is, do you still use a harmonizing necklace or pendant? And if so, can you share and or give recs? So I don't wear one anymore. I think that this uh, person is referring to, it was basically an EMF protection pendant that I wore at the time that I was working with my medical intuitive. This was upon his recommendation. I do still have the pendant. Actually, it's like right here in my desk. I stopped wearing it when I was pregnant because I basically stopped doing everything when I was pregnant because I couldn't take any supplements. I could like barely eat. I just was, I was just a different person. You know, if you've been pregnant, you can maybe relate to that. You just kind of strip everything down to the bare, bare minimum, I think. Mine came from a company called Earth Calm. I just had to look it up and I'm still subscribed to their mailing list. I, I still do believe in the validity of the products. And EMF protection is something I have had a resurgence of interest in in the light of 5G deploying um, around the country. It's not yet here in Chicago. I mean, I think it's in parts of Chicago. I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to get into that here. It's like a whole thing. Um, you could go follow Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Instagram or the Weston A. Price Foundation. They've done a lot of work on the potential for a lot of problems associated with 5G. So EMF protection is, I think, definitely something to be researching and aware of. And yeah, my experience with Earth Calm was I wore the pendant. Um, it's... I don't know. It's it's really hard to discern if you are electrosensitive, like if you're sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies, because there are so many other things that can be causing your symptoms, air pollution, indoor toxins or mold, um, things that you eat. I mean, it's, it's really hard to parse out because, you know, I don't mean this to sound fear-mongery, but we just do really live in quite a toxic environment. Most of us, especially if you live in a metropolitan area, so that's something that I'm always kind of thinking through. So yeah, feel free to explore Earth Calm if that feels resonant for you. Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna be able to get through all these questions. Let me try and answer a couple more. Subscription box models, how are they even profitable? Can't wrap my mind around it. This is a good question. I saw it come in and I truthfully don't know the answer. I do, I, I think that, it must be close to the, well, okay, a couple of things. I think that subscription box companies make their money based on the recurring model. So it's a subscription. So most people aren't just buying it one time. And I think the subscription makes up for the discount that is basically provided by the bundling of the products. So I think that when the subscription box company is buying the product from a brand, it's pretty close. It must be to the wholesale price that the beauty box company is already buying at to stock on their website. Does that make sense? So I think that they're they're able to offer the subscription boxes at that price based on the fact that it's a recurring model. I, I think, I don't really know. I've never actually had a very transparent conversation with anyone that runs a subscription box company about that, but I probably could. So maybe I'll put that on a two chat list with uh, someone that could help me answer that question. Okay, next question. Easy, fast entrees you love cooking recently or any entree in general? This is a very well-timed question because I actually did a very in-depth petit conseil last month for a patron, longtime patron, um, wonderful person. She's been on Patreon pretty much since the beginning and she's on the live streams all the time. And so I did, she had wanted to know basically the same thing, you know, like what are easy weeknight meals? And I did this whole petit conseil where I gave her like the top seven or eight things that I make and 
She went on to make something and sent me a photo. It was really, really gratifying. And then I told her that making this video had really inspired me to want to do... In particular, I've been really honing my skills on this Persian dish. It's called kotlet. And I think many cuisines have a version of this. It's like a meat, potato, onion patty that you fry in oil. And so delicious. So I basically do the Persian take of this. And I learned from my Persian in-laws and they're I'm just obsessed. And I, I really want to do a Lamore cooking video. I'm always, so you know, I do these patron exclusive videos for at the $7 a month level on Patreon. And many times I will include a Lamore Bakes. So I really want to do a French patisserie at home video series. I really want to do cooking videos because, you know, that's a, actually a big part. I guess you see snippets of it on Instagram, but I love cooking. I love making nourishing food. And so I'm trying to think of a creative way that this content could get made. This patron that I had done this petit conseil for, which is the $11 level, but it's nested for her because she's at the live stream level. She had pointed me in the direction of uh, another, I, I don't know if it's a podcast that she follows, but another group of content creators who have this model where they have like a higher level of investment for a project to get done. So say a series of three cooking videos would be a $75 buy-in or something, like a one-time thing. I forget exactly how she structured it, but it would be different than Patreon, which is like a monthly subscription, basically. Um, you get access to the content every month. And I'm trying to think of a way that, I don't know if it could be like it wouldn't really be a course, but like downloadable videos or, I mean, obviously I could try and filter it into my normal content, but it's it's like, a, though I want to find a way to make this more niche content that a smaller number of people are interested in, but that people that are interested in it would be willing to invest to have that content made, if that makes sense. So anyway, to answer your question, I make Persian cult lad a lot. Um, I do one of Heidi Swanson's stir fries all the time. It's called green stir fry. I do a green coconut milk curry that I loosely follow Organic Olivia's technique for doing. I do ambitious kitchen meatballs with burrata and baguette. We do, the easiest thing is honestly a protein and vegetables on the grill. So we'll do salmon with zucchini on the grill. I do these chicken kebabs on the grill that are really, really good. Cobb does all the grilling, by the way. I'm not a grill person, but I prepare everything. So those are some of like the the ones that are in rotation. But yeah, if you would be interested in patisserie videos or, or actual like cooking demo videos, um, I don't know, like stay tuned, I guess, because I'm going to try and find a way to either offer that on Patreon or as a standalone option on my website or as part of a vlog. I don't know. I just, I need more hours in the day. <laughs> I need more hours in the day to do everything I want to do. Oh my gosh, you guys, there are so many more good questions. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a part two because I really want to answer all of them because they're they're really, really good. But we're already at an hour here. So I'm releasing this here to you. I think I'm going to release part two probably as an exclusive to Patreon or like a bonus to Patreon. But let me give you a sense for what some of those questions will be. Um, and I'll just do it at the $3 a month level. It'll, it'll just be a bonus for patrons. Posts, can you give some suggestions for preparing for postpartum recovery? How do you cultivate discernment? Holiday, vacation wish list, or staycationing? Where would you like to be other than home? Coping with COVID, things you've learned, uh, would have implemented at the beginning. That's such a good question. Current hair care routine, Black-owned skincare brands you've discovered, current clothing loves, what will your 2021 look like? Maybe better as an autumn episode, desires and hopes. Do you journal and what kind of journaling style do you favor? Oh my gosh, someone said maybe more of a Patreon thing, but totally interested in your child immunization thoughts. I will probably do a whole episode on Patreon on this, but that's an in-process thing for me. Um, someone's asking about menstrual products, experience with May Lindstrom. That's something I could talk a lot about. Uh, thoughts on CBD, 
Favorite liver supporters and skin routine to help nourish. Uh, favorite types of teas. Update on baby care products and anything baby related. So those are such wonderful questions, but that's pretty much another 45 minute to hour long episode. So I'm going to say goodbye to you guys here. If you want to hear answers to all those questions, I hope that you'll come over and check out Patreon. Um, for $3 a month, you get access to the bonus feed. There's like 10 episodes over there and they tend to be more personal. Um, I talk more about spirituality and like my own spiritual development, my own waking up. I know that's really trite sounding, but I guess I've taken to calling it more my own radicalization, but that doesn't really sound right either. I hope you know what I mean. I just think that that what's been happening in the world has woken a lot of people up to see things in a different light and also becoming a parent changed a lot for me as well. So I explore a lot of that on the podcast and I hope that you'll come check it out. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here. I will see you here on the public feed next week with an interview that I'm Oh, I'm always excited to bring you the voice and perspective of someone new. And then I'll be taking a break on the 31st. And then Monday, September, I think it's Monday, September 7th, will be another exclusive to Patreon podcast episode because the first Monday of every month is the bonus Patreon podcast or the, the first Monday of every month is exclusive to Patreon. I haven't fully decided what that's going to be on yet, but I have a couple of ideas. And then you'll see me back here on the public feed the second Monday in September. But hopefully that break, you know, if you're not on Patreon, I'll give you a chance to catch up because I know it can also be hard to keep up with the weekly podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you feel compelled to rate or review this podcast, it just helps more people find it. You can come say hi on Instagram. I'm at L'Amour et La Musique. You can find uh, lots of information on my website, L'Amour et La Musique.com. And you can always drop me a line at L'Amour et La Musique at gmail.com. So I really hope to hear from you. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. It's such a labor of love to get it out, but I'm happy to be here chatting with you every week. Wishing you guys a wonderful week ahead and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.